up in the hills of Kentucky, and he was there for a month. And the last sermon he preached was on a Sunday morning, and uh, he preached the message, and on the way to the car, there was a family come to him and said, you might as well come by and eat before you go. said, you got a long drive ahead of you, and so you'll have to eat somewhere along the road. And so he said, I'll be glad to do that. So he went to their house, and when they sat down to eat, the, the dad of the home, the man of the home, asked him to pray. He said, would you pray over the food? And the preacher said, I'll be glad to. And he looked at the food on the table for just a minute, and then he bowed his head. He said, Lord, he says, it's rabbit again. He said, rabbit for breakfast, rabbit, rabbit for lunch, rabbit for dinner, rabbit for brunch. Rabbit stewed, rabbit fried, rabbit baked, rabbit dried. Rabbit young, rabbit old, rabbit hot, rabbit cold. Rabbit tender, rabbit tough. Thank you, Lord, but I've had enough. <laughs> All right, turn your Bibles to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. I want to preach on the subject today. It's not too late. The pastor talked about revival over in Ava. Uh, there's two things about revival. First of all, the church needs to be revived. And when the church gets revived, you'll see souls being saved. And so we're going to look at, at the revival there in, in Joel chapter 2. It's not too late. Verses 12 and 13. Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Let's stand as we go to God in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful today for the opportunity and the privilege of being here this morning. We're just thankful, God, that we're able to come and preach the Word of God. I pray, God, you'd touch my throat and touch my brain today. I pray, God, you'd just use me today in this service. I want to be instrumental in this service today, uh, bringing blessings to you. We pray, God, that everything we do today, we bring glory to your precious name. I just want to thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in advance. Maybe somebody listening online that needs to be saved. Maybe somebody here in this congregation this morning needs, needs the Lord. You know all about that. That's not my business. But God, I pray you'd help me to preach without fear or favor of man. Make it easy for me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now the word repenteth there in verse number 13 means to grieve, to sorrow, to sigh, or to mourn. If you read about Judas Iscariot, the Bible said that he repented himself. Otherwise, he was sorry he got caught in his sin. But you see here, we're talking about true repentance here. It means to grieve, to sorrow, to sigh, and to mourn. And the evil that he's talking about here in verse number 13, and repent to him of the evil, he's talking about the adversity and the affliction and the calamity and the distress that Judah was experiencing. If you read the three chapters of, of uh, the book of Joel here, just three chapters long, you'll see that the nation of Judah is in trouble. It, the Bible says they're experiencing a dreadful drought and a massive invasion of locusts. In chapter 3 and verse number 2, the Bible says they're on, uh, under a constant attack by their enemies. Let's read that verse of Scripture. I will also gather all nations and will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. And so we see they were in trouble. They were being attacked by their enemies. And these events left the land ruined and the people demoralized. And so we can look at this and say that God is definitely judging the nation of Judah. 
I wonder if God looks at you and I today in this nation today that we live in, and even our church, and God look at our church and say, well, it's time to judge you. Maybe as individuals, it's time that God would judge us. I believe, and I'm not the only preacher that's, that believes this at all, not the only Christian that believes this, but I believe it's the, the, the thing that's going on in our nation today is something that's going to bring the judgment of God upon us and already is, in some cases, bringing the judgment of God. But God here is definitely judging Judah. The specific sins of the nation are not named in this book, but if you read it carefully... It indicates that the people have slipped into a state of spiritual apathy concerning the things of God. Now, God used the trials they faced as a nation to awaken the hearts of His people and to call them back to Himself. As I first began to look at the book of Joel many years ago, I thought that it's a book of judgment, and it is a book of judgment. But also, if you read the book, it's also a book of hope. In this book here, God's people are made to understand, even in the midst of divine judgment, there's always hope if they will simply and humbly seek the Lord and obey what He says to do. While this book was written to Judah, there's a message here for the church today. We look at our nation and our world and we wonder what the future holds. I begin to wonder sometime back, are we going to have a revival? I believe that that's the only thing that's going to save this nation. But Rob's not going to start in Washington, D.C. He's not going to start in Jefferson City. It's going to start in the local churches here with God's people repenting of their sins, getting right with God, and confessing their sins to God. And there's a lot of scripture I can bring to that. I'll be bringing some up just a little later. But I wondered, is there any hope for revival? I believe these verses that we read today will teach that there is hope. The, the title of my subject this morning is, It's Not Too Late. I don't think it's too late for revival. As a matter of fact, I believe we're ripe for revival. As I look at the Word of God, when people begin to backslide on God, begin to go away from God, begin to refuse the, the Word of God, I see that that's when a lot of times God will bring revival. Now, I want you to notice something, first of all. I want you to notice the problems there in chapter number one. First of all, they were facing some serious things. They were facing devastation there in verse number four. That which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten. That which the locust hath left, hath the canker worm eaten. And that which the canker worm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. That simply tells me there that one insect after another came upon that nation and ruined their crops. There was little food for the people. Now notice there in verses 5 through 7, the Bible says they was destruction. Awake, awake you drunkards and weep and howl and all you drinkers of the wine because of the new wine for it is cut off from your mouth for a nation has come up upon my land strong and without number whose teeth are the teeth of a lion and he that hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. He hath laid my vine waste and barked my fig tree. He hath made it clean bare and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. There they faced invasions from neighboring nations. And the armies that came against them destroyed their vineyards and their orchards. So we see destruction. Then we see desolation there in verses 8 through verse number 13. The Bible says in verse 8, it says, There lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. The priest and the Lord's ministers mourn. The field is wasted and the land mourneth for the corn is wasted. And new wine is dried up. The oil languisheth. Be ashamed, O ye husbandmen. Howl, O ye vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. The vine is dried up and the fig tree languisheth. The pomegranate trees, the palm tree 
also. The apple tree, even all the trees of the field are withered because joy is withered away from the sons of men. And then he says there in verse 13, he says, Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests, how ye ministers of the altar. Come lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God, for the meat offering and the drink offering is withholding from the house of your God. Those are verse 14 and 15. He talks about their sanctify fast. What he did, he talked about desolation in verses 8 through 13. And then in verses 14 and 15, he's talking about divine discipline. Notice there in verse 14, Sanctify ye a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders, all the inhabitants of the land, unto the house of the Lord your God, and cry unto the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Now none of these things were accidental. All the things I've mentioned were a result of the judgment of God. And what God is doing here, God is judging His people for their sins. And as I read about the judgment that's fallen on Judah, I'm reminded of our families and our churches and our nation here in the United States and what's going to happen to us. Now, there's little doubt we're facing the judgment of God in America. In Romans chapter 1, there's quite a lengthy reading here, but I'm going to read it and you follow along, okay? Start reading in verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the right unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto, unto them. For the visible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You might want to highlight that phrase, so they are without excuse. Verse 21 says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Verse 22 says, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23, And changed the glory of the incorruptible, uh, uncorruptible God into an image of the corruptible man, and to birds and the four-footed beasts, and to creeping things. Verse 24, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, to the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now we're getting down to where we live today. Verse 25, Who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worship and serve the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed for Forever. This Mother Earth thing, there's no such thing as Mother Earth. We serve a Father God. We need to remember that. And then, then the Bible says there in verse 26, For this cause God gave them up into vile affection for even their women to change the natural use into that which is against nature. I don't understand this. I don't understand why people fall into this. But they're doing it every day. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in lust one to another. Men with men working that which unseemly, receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. God help us as a nation. I tell you, it's sad, it's sad when a young man can walk into his mom and dad and say, Mom, I want to identify myself as a girl. Dad, I want to identify myself as a girl. And they don't slap the thunder out of it. If I'd have done that, I'll tell you what, dad, my dad would have knocked me in the next week. Did you know that? Amen. He'd have said, you're a man, stand up and act like a man. Amen. You're a man, stand up and act like a man. If you're a woman, stand up and act like a woman. God made them male and female. I don't care what anybody else says. Amen. And even they did not to retain God in their own knowledge, to do the, God gave them over to reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with unrighteousness, Fornication, now notice all these things, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, deceit, debate, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, excuse me, disobedient to parents. I was in Walmart a while back and 
this the kid asked for something. I don't know what he asked for. And Mama said, no, you don't need that. So we're going to go home and cook supper. And she got the biggest cussing I ever heard from a little four or five-year-old boy. Man, I'll tell you what. Disobedient to parents without uh, understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable and merciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only to do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now, I realize that's quite a lengthy reading there. But I began to think about this scripture and then read this scripture this week. I thought about all the disasters that are ripping to our nation. Far greater frequency than ever before. One part of our nation is in a drought. The other part of the nation is in a flood. In the wintertime, it seems like sometimes one part of our nation is, is iced over and the other part of the nation is, is hotter than normal. There's tornadoes, hurricanes, wildfires that have caused loss of life and damages costing tens of billions of dollars. I don't think there's any question that America is under the judgment of God. I know I'm not the only one that's asking this question. But everybody I meet talks about America being under the judgment of God. I don't think the problem is global warming. I think the problem is Christian cooling. Consider all the sin and evil that runs rampant in our nation. Isaiah 5 verse 20 says, Our generation calls evil good and good evil. Our society hails the wicked and hates the righteous. Yep. Right. Remember last year when they were burning the buildings and, and uh, you know, they were, the news media bragged them up and yep. uh, President Biden, I hate to call him president, but I guess I have to. He bragged it up. Nothing wrong with that. Just burn her down. Burn her down. Don't worry about it. Yep. And while those that hate, uh, that are righteous, they hate us. Yep. They think we're the cause. Here's the problem. We live in a spiritual climate where fear has replaced faith. Sin has replaced sanity. Greed has replaced grace. Our churches even are under the judgment of God. Piety has given place to personal pleasure. Consecration has been replaced by complacency. We get more excited about races than we do revival. We wink at sin and wrestle with the sovereignty of God. We'd rather play than pray. We'd rather be entertained than educated. Our pews are full, but our altars are empty. We'd rather have our ears tickled than our hearts uh, searched. We'd rather We'd rather stay like we are than become like he is. That's why I believe that we're under the judgment of God. Now in Joel chapter 2, we see there the plea. Joel chapter 2, even though Judah was experiencing the judgment of God, there was still hope. God reached out to Israel one more time to address their condition and call them back to himself. Now notice the plea for repentance there in verse number 12 in chapter 2. Bible says in verse number 12, there also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent, and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. So there we're looking there at genuine repentance as the only hope that they have for survival. Notice what God did. First, He called them to turn to Him. Yep. But notice, with all their heart. Yep. Not with part of their heart. He calls on them to rend their hearts and not their garments. What, what do you mean by that? As I look at that and study that, I believe God isn't looking for more external displays of religion. Yep. Right. He's looking for some heart, a change of heart. He's looking for people who are broken over their sin. He's looking for people who are honest, open, and repentant. His blessings are awaiting those who will be honest about their condition. 
In Proverbs 28, verse 13, the Bible says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. Whoso confesses and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Amen. I like that verse. First John 1, 9, If we confess our sin, I know that word if. A little two-letter word, but it has a great deal of meaning there. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our only hope of being delivered from the judgment of God is for God's people to seek the Lord with sincerity and humility. Until God's people repent, there'll be no power. Until God's people repent, there'll be no glory. Until God's people repent, there'll be no hope. Until God's people repent, there'll be no revival for our nation. As long as the church continues to walk in rebellion against God, the world will mock us and mock God also. That's what they're doing today. They're mocking us. You mean you're a Christian? I mean, you go to that church down in Norwood called Liberty Faith? They're mocking us, making fun of us. When we repent and are restored to the place of blessing, the world will acknowledge that God is real. Then notice there in verse 15 through 17, there's a plea for our return. Notice the Bible says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify fast, call a solemn assembly. Verse 16 says, Gather the people together. I notice there, he wanted, God's calling the people from the oldest to the youngest to come back to him there in verse number 16. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, and those that suck the breast, let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber, and the bride out of her closet. And then in verse 17, he's calling their spiritual leaders to come back. Now notice, they, they must have probably been the first to go away from God. Now notice here in verse 17. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? The Bible tells us there, God wants His people to seek His face once again. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He's near. You may be here today and you're unsaved. And God has shown you that already this morning. The Holy Spirit has pricked your heart to tell you that you need to be saved. Or maybe you're listening online and you're not a Christian. I want to encourage you today to get saved. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't say, well, I'll put it off till next Sunday when Pastor Kelly will be preaching. No, it doesn't matter who's preaching. When you need to get saved, you need to get saved today. So don't put, that, don't put off salvation too long. I had a young man one time, I preached a funeral out in a cemetery there at Kabul at Mount Pisgah Church. And uh, I preached the funeral, and this young man came up to me. And he said, uh, he said, I need to be saved. And I talked to him and prayed with him. But he wouldn't be saved. And I said, well, as he left, I said, there's an old song that said, don't put off salvation too long. And uh, he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, there'll be a day that you won't be able to be saved. There'll be a day you're going to die. There'll be a day that the Lord may not deal with you like he's dealing with you this, today here at this funeral. And I talked to him a little more, and he walked away. And I didn't see him for probably a year or so. I preached a revival down around Thayer area, actually at Alton. And this gospel group come in to, to sing, and, and I noticed this one guy kind of looked familiar. And come find out, he was the guy that I talked to out in the cemetery. After the service, he came up to me and said, you remember me? I said, well, I know I've seen you somewhere, but I really don't remember you. And he told me, he said, you know what? I never forget what you told me. Don't put off salvation too long. He said, that thought stuck with me all week long. He said, I went to a church close to my home the next Sunday. And he said, I didn't get saved that Sunday. But he said, all I could hear was don't put off salvation too long. 
He said, I got out the songbook, and he said, I began to look at the words there. Don't put off salvation too long. The nightshades for you may be falling. Don't put off salvation too long. Don't say, well, I'll get saved tonight, or I'll get saved tomorrow, or I'll get saved some other time. Don't put off salvation. You need to get saved today. So there's the promise there. We see the problem. We see the hearing, the plea. We see the promise. Bible tells the verse 18 through 22. Bible says there, Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil. You shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. And then the Bible says there in that, in that scripture, in verse number 20, But I will remove far from you the northern army, those that were invading them, and will drive him into a land barren and desolate, with his face toward the east sea and his hinder part towards the utmost sea, and his stink shall come up, and, he, and his ill savor shall come up, because he hath done great things. That's the promise of restoration. God has promised to deliver them from their enemies. He's promised to feed them, first of all. They didn't have any food, had no, no water to drink, no food to eat. He's promised to bless them. He's promised to satisfy them one more time. But here's the rub. He'll do that if they come to Him. There's that word if again. Said Chronicles 7, 14, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then and only then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. There's not a truly saved person here today that doesn't long for the Lord to bless His people again. That was a promise of restoration. Then in verse 23, 24, and 25, we see the promise of revival. The Bible says there, Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to, cause, cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And the floor shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with the wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. God promises to send both the former and the latter rains. God also promised to replace everything that had been lost during the days of drought and devastation. He's promising a revival of His blessings upon the land. Notice the word former and latter there. That's, that's, what, that's the need we have in our day. We need the Lord to open the windows of heaven and erase this spiritual drought that we've been in for so long. We've been living under it for some time now. We need God to rain down heavenly blessings upon us. We need God to restore what the enemy has carried away. We need a return of God's presence. We need a restoration of God's power. We need a resurgence of holiness in the church. We need a revival. And nothing short of it will, will do. Oh, that God's people would seek His face. When I was away at home, my dad would sometimes have something really wanted me to get, he wanted to tell me about. And he could tell I was paying no attention to him. Now, your parents are smarter than you think they are, okay? And dad would say, son, he says, look at me, I'm talking to you. Look at me. What was he saying? Seek my face. Seek my face. And so when I began to look at him, then he would talk to me, I would understand what he was trying to tell me. God's saying here, seek my face. Look at me. Pay attention to what I'm saying, telling you. All through the Word of God, God wants us to seek Him. Ask Him to move among us once again. All oh, that we can see how far we've fallen. 
Then in verse 26, we see the promise of rejoicing. And you shall eat in plenty. Now they were starving first when we first noticed the scripture. And be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dwelt, dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. They will praise him. As I studied this this week, I thought of that song, Praise Him, Praise Him, Jesus, my blessed Redeemer. Praise Him. They'll praise Him. They'll worship Him. They'll exalt Him. They'll hold their heads high before their enemies, and no longer will they be the object of ridicule and shame. They'll be blessed once again. They will rejoice in their new condition. Then we see in verse number 27, we see there the promise of realization. Verse 27 says, And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people never, shall never be ashamed. When the restoration comes, they will know that God is in their midst. They'll know that He and He alone is the source of their strength, their power, and their blessings. But they have to set their hearts to follow God. I like what Paul said in Romans chapter 13, verse 11 through 14. And it's a warning that Paul gives to the church there at Rome. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Not rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. I make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Listen, Christian, it's not too late. I talked to preachers who said revival can't come. If you have that attitude, revival's not going to come. If you say it's not going to come, it's not going to come. If you've got the negative attitude. But if you'll seek the Lord, search your heart. Paul said examine yourself, see if you be in the faith or not. If you'll examine yourself, if there's something there, that's not should that should not be there. Did you need to repent of it? Say, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. Re remove it from me. Help me, Heavenly Father, to be what you want me to be. It's not too late. You say, Well, things are in a bad shape in this nation. Yeah, it is. It sure is. When boys can call themselves girls, and it was this is a true story. I'm going to tell you. Little boy, he'd been to school, of course, and he heard all kinds of things there about you can be whatever you say you are. He came into breakfast one morning and he told his dad, he said, Dad, I'm going to, I think I'm a girl. And dad said, No, you're not a girl. He said, Well, maybe I'm a cat. And dad said, Get back to the table. We don't serve animals here at the table. <laughs> Little boy said, You're kidding. He said, Get back to the table. I'm serious, he said. We don't let we don't let like cats eat at the table. Go over in that dish over there in the corner. That's your that's your place to eat. Yeah. And the little boy got off his chair there at the table. Instead of going to the little dish, he went to the room, his room. Stayed there all day. Come supper time, he's back at the table. Dad said, "I thought I told you the cats eat over there in the corner." He said, "Dad, I think I'll be a boy." <laughs> His stomach had been growling all day long. I think I'll be a boy. I know one thing, Pastor, if you or I would have come to our dad and said, Dad, I think I'm going to be a girl. That slapped us in the next week. Huh? I don't blame him. Yeah. I don't blame him. 
As a matter of fact, I had someone ask me one time, so what would happen if you come home with a ears pierced? I said, well, I wouldn't have anywhere to put my glasses. Dad would have jerked them off of me. <laughs> Folks, what's this world coming to? All because we have separated ourselves from God. God says, come back. Come back to me. Repent. Get right with me. He said, I'll supply you food. Your water will be there. Everything you need to survive will be there. I'm thankful I serve a God that helps me day by day with whatever I need. I'm thankful for that. Stand with me this morning, if you will. It's not too late. Huh? Pianist, if you will, come to the uh, piano here. There, he's coming up the aisle over there. Bow your heads for prayer. You may need to come and pray. I don't know what you need to do. Some, I'm kind of like Pastor Red sometimes. I, I don't know whether I'm going in or coming out. But uh, If you need to pray, well, come to the altar and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful today, Lord, for this message. Lord, I've wrestled with it all week long. It's just what you want me to preach. Lord, I just pray that you take it in my feeble attempt to preach it. I pray you take it and use it today in a way that only you can. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd save people that's lost. Lord, nothing more important than that. You left us, you came to seek and to save that which is lost, but now you've gone to heaven and you left the church here to seek and to save those that were lost. I pray we'd do that today. I ask you, Heavenly Father, to save the lost, reclaim those that are backslidden in heart and mind. Pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd help the parents here to realize the great responsibility that they have in bringing their children up in the fear and nurture of the Lord. We want to thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.